Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and I wanted to let all of you know that this wonderful interview with Catherine Hecht was recorded before the Academy Awards. So there's a part in this conversation where we talk about Coda and Troy Kotzer, and yeah, we already know how that all turned out. Turned out pretty well. All right, enjoy. to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. everyone. My name is Catherine Hecht. I am the founder and executive director of AV Film, formerly known as the Alexander Valley Film Society. You may know me from AV Fest, which was also known as Alexander Valley Film Festival. You might have seen me around town at the Art House Convergence. I love noodling with my colleagues on best practices uh, in executive leadership and exhibition, year-round exhibition, festival exhibition, and right now we are gearing up for our eighth annual Fest, AV Fest 2022, which is coming to you live and in person, April 29th to May 8th here in Sonoma County. Catherine Heck, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. I'm super excited uh, to have you on and... I want to read a little bit from your bio to give this audience a deeper sense of who you are and how you've been contributing to the larger world of independent film for, oh, these many years. <laughs> and as I always say, this is the internet. So if anything sounds incorrect or um, maybe needs to be updated, feel free to amend to this bio. Catherine is the founder and executive director of Alexander Film Society, which is now called the AV Film Fest, where she is responsible for the overall strategic financial management, fundraising, and operational health of the organization. She's a seasoned entrepreneur, executive leader, and community builder. Prior to launching the Film Society, Catherine worked as a communications director for nonprofit organizations in New York and San Francisco. She specializes in community building and engagement, storytelling, social media, media relations, and brand management. Catherine serves as supervisor of James Gore's appointee on the Economic Development Board of Sonoma County and currently presides as chair of the board. She was elected by the Press Democrat in 2016 as one of the 30 women to watch in Sonoma County. Catherine received the 2018 BOHO Award from the Bohemian, the 2018 Spirit of Sonoma Award from the Cloverdale Chamber of Commerce, and was featured as a lady boss in Forbes 2019. Catherine, super excited. I don't know if I ever told you this the last time that we spoke. Did I tell you that I took a bus ride 
across the country to Cloverdale, California? We did. That might have been the strangest thing anybody has ever said to me since I've moved here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, literally no one does that. It, no. There's, there's, there's no... There's there's no bus rides to Cloverdale. That's so crazy. It's it's literally true, and uh, we had to actually stop. The bus actually stopped in San Francisco. So, me and a friend went from Nashville to San Francisco on a Greyhound bus, uh, all to meet a couple of young ladies we had met in Las Vegas, uh, maybe earlier that year. So nothing is stronger than a teenage boy's drive to. Oh my God. To connect. I was 17 at the time and my friend was 16. So 16 and 17. I don't even know if that's legal. Our parents are insane. (laughs) Uh, So we, so we drove, we didn't drive. We rode uh, on a Greyhound bus from Nashville to San Francisco. Now here's what you need to know. There is no smell quite like the smell of a Greyhound bus traveling 3000 miles. The bathroom that's on the bus isn't from this planet. (laughs) That smell can only be generated by the beasts that were attacking uh, Sigourney Weaver and aliens. (laughs) It was, it was awful. Um, But what came out of that was so many great stories and so many good times with my friends, uh, including the greatest story of all time in the, San Francisco bus station. Now in the San Francisco bus station, it may have been, it may be different now, Catherine, you have to tell me. I, uh, I, I don't <laughs> spend a lot of time there, honestly. So. Okay. <laughs> so at the time, and this is, let's see what year this was. This would have been 1995 or six or something like that. There were, there's a lot of homeless people in the, San Francisco bus station. Matter of fact, there's a lot of homeless people at the Nashville bus station. And my guess is there's a lot of homeless people at every bus station in every city. Right. Mm, Probably. Well, my friend that was with me, his name is Jeff. uh, He was noticing this plight, you know, and he was like, man, there's a lot of folks that, you know, that, that need something here. And I'm like, yeah, I know, man, this is crazy. And it was, for us, it was culture shock. We were, you know, we were, you know, raised in Nashville. Nashville wasn't an it city at the time. It was a small town that had yeah. about 600,000 people in it total. So <clears throat> he's like, you know what? I'm going to go help one of these guys out. I said, okay. So he walks up to this homeless guy and, and actually the homeless guy walks up to him, I believe, and says, hey, can I get something to eat? He says, sure thing. What can I get you? He says, I sure would love a sandwich from that market downstairs. He goes, no problem. I got you. Now, remember, we're teenagers. We are on limited budget, whatever. So he goes down to the market and, and, and gets this $7, $8 sandwich. Now, at the time, that's a lot of money for a sandwich. Sandwiches yeah. are normally 2 or $3 <laughs> sometimes. Okay, so we're in San Francisco, $8 sandwich. <clears throat> he gets the sandwich. It looks great. It's like a hoagie. It's got all the stuff on it. Wow. And he is so proud. He is like swelling with like pride and joy of helping another human being in this life, right? And <clears throat> he... uh like, you know how someone has like a lot of pride and they kind of hand the sound. He handed the sandwich over with like this sort of slow, deliberate motion of pride. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and sir, here's your sandwich. <laughs> and, the, and the guy opens the sandwich up and we start to walk away. We're like happy. We're proud of ourselves. So we start to walk away. And then we hear from behind us, uh, excuse me, excuse me. 
And then we turn around and we say, oh yeah, what's going on? What's up? It's the homeless guy that's, that's calling it to us. He says, well, I can't have mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> true, true story. True story from the San Francisco bus station. I'll never oh forget Oh my that. God. That's funny. Oh, I can't have mayonnaise. <laughs> I can't have mayonnaise. Your poor friend. Oh my God. Uh, I know. I know. It's, it's so wild. So I never, I've never done that at the beginning of a podcast before, but. <laughs> <laughs> what an experience as a teenager. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. We'll have to get together in uh, Sonoma. County in Cloverdale soon at the festival, the AV Film Fest, which we're going to talk about in this conversation, and uh, go into detail about that trip. Actually, <laughs> so it'll it'll be great. But you, uh, even though you are in beautiful uh, Sonoma County, um, which is a lot of people's you know bucket list destination, right? It's, it's like a, a Hawaii for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't grow up there. You actually grew up in Spring, Texas. That's right. Have you seen the movie Red Rocket yet? It's like one of these. It's a sh- new Sean Baker movie. It's one of these. Oh, gosh. No, I haven't. And I no. can't wait to see it. Have you seen it? I have. And I was wondering how accurate it was to Galveston, Texas, or your experience in Spring, Texas, uh, in your opinion. So I think you're going to love it if it's. I, I adore Sean. Um, he's somebody that I got to meet early on when I started uh, AV film, he, Tangerine had come out and, and that was one of the films that I saw at Sundance that year. And I saw it on the front row in one of the Sundance venues, which is not where you want to be seeing a film like that, you know, shot on an iPhone, all that, like mm. that kinetic movement and the characters, but I, I fell in love with it. And then I, I played it for our audiences here at the end of the year. And he joined us for a virtual Q and a, like before all of this happened. Oh, that's awesome. But you know, one thing about him is I, I feel like he, he loves his characters. He fall. I mean, he just falls so deeply for each one of them. And I've thought that about, I thought that about Tangerine, the one that followed, what was the one that followed um, oh gosh. in Florida? Yep. Yep. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. And I can't, I can see the movie poster and everything, Me too. Um, but I'm so excited to see Red Rocket. So even if it's not completely authentic to the growing up in Galveston or spring, I would imagine it's got a lot of heart. So. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun and great movie and the primary character uh, played by Simon Rex, who's wonderful. And mm. he has one of those faces where you're like, Oh my God, what, what where do I know him from? And then you realize you know him from everywhere. He's been in everything. He's, yeah. he's a rapper. He's an actor. He's a director. He's everything. But he's great in it. And I felt like I knew that character. I felt like I grew up with that guy. So, mm-hmm. and, and I knew a lot of those girls in there too. That was like, uh, okay, th- these are people that I, that I know. I'm curious what childhood was like for you, though, in Spring, Texas, and how you were able to navigate that community as a creative. That's a great question. I, I definitely felt a sense of other from an early age. Um, But my childhood was, I had everything I needed and most of the things I wanted. We, we weren't wealthy, but 
I lived in the suburbs. There was a cow pasture at the end of my block. You know, we lived on a dead end. I just went back to Tom. My mother moved kind of across the the freeway into a, a, a smaller town called Tomball. And um, it's unrecognizable. It's just developed in such a way. I honestly can't find my way around. I have oh, to wow. use GPS and or listen to my my mother's partner's directions of north south 30 degrees left you know <laughs> um which is such a texas thing too um everybody gives degree, you know directions using longitude latitude <laughs> <laughs> um but i um i didn't know what i didn't know until i knew it i i, I don't mean to be obtuse with that I just there were things I I just wasn't exposed to I didn't know that my friend Tanya was black until I was in the first grade um I didn't know what a latte was until I left Texas and had one when I was 18 or 19 for the first time it was a really sheltered life I still found my way into theater I found my way into music and singing but I was also I was a kid of the 80s and 90s. You didn't talk about feelings a whole lot. I mm. definitely had some adolescent stuff going on and probably depression and mental health issues. And um, and I ended up in a situation in my high school with kind of a cult-like, highly dysfunctional drama teacher, um, which was a, definitely a both and. It was really dangerous and harmful to me and my friends um, and to to some of my friends more physically mm. harmful. Um, but I also cut my teeth when I was 14 years old on Shaw and Ibsen and Shakespeare. Um, and, you know, having those words in your mouth when you're 14 years old, one of my favorite metaphors, actually, I don't know if it's metaphor, this is what I should. This is what I should have said at the beginning. You might know me from my malapropisms. I'm a champion <laughs> malapropist. I know I, I say I, I am very clear about something I'm saying, but I know it could mean something else. Um, but you know what I was going to say is like you can't unring that bell. Like with COVID, we can't unring the bell. Right. I can't unring the bell of all the things I went through as a kid, including this really a singular experience of being exposed to these incredible writers mm. and playwrights when I was 14, how that shaped my sense of language, um, my sense of communication, my, my, my communication style, my, my dramatic um, inclination. And in some ways, probably more affirming than anyone around me. Chekhov was more affirming to me. Yeah. When I played Masha in The Seagull at 16 years old, mm -hmm. um, the, the opening line in one of the scenes, why do you always wear black? I'm in mourning for my life. <laughs> you know, when I was 16 years old and I really related to that, I don't relate to that now, thank God. But um, so I'm, I'm grateful to those playwrights. I, it, it is what it is. And I got through it and I look back and I can't believe I got through it. And some of my classmates are the worst for wear because of that time period in our lives. But um, 
I was ready to get out when I did. And I, and I left, I, I, as soon as I got into college, I left and I went, um, and I never really looked back. Yeah. I was, how old was that? Like 18? You left 18. Right at 18. Wow. Yeah. There's so much to dig into there. I truly agree with the unring the bell comment. You, you can't unring it. I did a, one of my college thesis papers on Native American women and sort of their plight and their families. And I'd interviewed one young lady whose mother was pretty abusive and it ultimately drove her to alcohol and drug abuse, but she was emotionally abusive, not physically abusive so much. Um, she she had this experience where she had gotten on the school bus and every single day there were guys on the bus that would pull her dress up and keep pulling her dress up and, and, and embarrassing her and shaming her. And she'd come home and say, mom, please don't make me wear a dress to school anymore. And a mom would make her wear the dress. So there was something in there where her mom maybe enjoyed the fact that her beautiful young daughter, cause she's a really pretty girl. Uh, was getting humiliated every day. And I said, why don't you, you know, it's been 20 years. Why don't you just forgive her and forget about it? And she said, can't unring that bell. Oh, interesting. Can't, can't forget about it. Can't forgive her. Can't move on. Keep trying to, I just can't. It's complicated. Right. And I feel like I feel there are layers too. I, my experience with forgiveness is that you forgive and it comes back up and you've got to forgive again and kind of peel back another layer. And um, yeah, that's complicated. I also think that I recently, when I recently went back to visit with my mom, whose partner is having some significant health challenges mm-hmm. I got to see some of the, the gals I went to school with and gals that I've known since I was four. And we're not, we're not super tight. We don't talk every day or anything like that. But when we get together, there is this really unique sense of familiarity. One of those women is one of my, pa- one of my security questions in every bank I've ever had, you know, when they ask you like, what is your best, what was your best (laughs) childhood friend's name? And I thought of that while I was talking to her, we have this shared history, which I won't have with anyone else ever again. Right. And so we have that. And we also have in terms of the, the time that we grew up and where we grew up, we also have this shared cultural experience of, um, being sheltered and having different levels of sophistication in our homes and and worldliness in our homes and how we process that with one another when we were kiddos and how we talk about it now and being able to talk about our parents as human beings, mm-hmm. um, knowing that they did the best they could. I don't think that's necessarily true of every parent, but I do think that there is an element in in my generation, which I guess is Generation X, um, where we we evolved into adults who wanted to process openly with one another what we were experiencing, mm-hmm. how our worldview was uh, affecting our lives, and and in terms of art, so much of that 
I love the artists of my generation. I totally relate to them. And, and um, Phil Seymour Hoffman is a perfect example of that. I just felt like he embodied so much of what I understood mm-hmm. about the world, his raw emotion and, and approach to acting was something that's how I grew up. That's how I understood acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you don't get to be that way unless you had to kind of fight upstream somewhere. Right. Right. Exactly. And really fight to know yourself and your place in the world and your identity and, and how you value yourself or devalue yourself. I don't think, and I don't necessarily think that great art comes from pain, but it certainly has been the case in my life. And I I see that. I don't see that pain as being anything unique as more just being a human on this planet. So it's all to, to summarize. I think it's all really, um, connected. Yeah. I I was just saying the same thing at a dinner last night I had with a young actress and songwriter about how you can get in this vicious cycle where you need to create pain so that you make your best art. Like the serotonin release of creating and writing a song that's great is a greater serotonin feel than the serotonin, let's say, release of having a good, healthy, steady life, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, it's and, and you get yourself into trouble because it's like you keep sabotaging relationships and things so that you can get this thing you want. It's, it's, it's really unusual. Um, one of your favorite quotes is courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. What are some of the fears you've had the courage to face? I think moving across the country at 40 years old and not knowing anyone where I was going, but following my husband's dream to reopen a movie theater is high up on the list. (laughs) Was this the Cloverdale theater? Yeah. It's the Clover Clover theater. Theater. Yeah. Clover theater in Cloverdale four screen cinema. And he Long story short, started Googling movie theaters for sale one stormy December night when we were living in Jackson Heights, Queens. And five months later, we were living in California. What is, why was that his dream? Do you know? Have you? I think it has to do with a combination of things. He's always been a... Um, big, big idea person when it comes to work. Like I want to try something that no one else has done, or Mm -hmm. I think this is a way to make money or um, what if we explored this and, but we were both in regular jobs. I mean, it, it hadn't really manifested in in this kind of excursion yet. Mm -hmm. Um. But there was a moment where there we we came, he had gotten into uh, selling books for a while. Like he would go to um, library sales and book sales and he'd find uh, books with 
uh, like first first edition books or maybe something that had been signed. And in the early days of Amazon, he'd do sales and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment where there was like a truckload of books for sale. And we had this conversation, do we buy this truckload of books and start a business? And we didn't end up doing that. Um, but he also, he's a cinephile and he had gone back to school for film studies at Queens College and was getting immersed in that world again of not only academia, but about film history, film theory. And when this opportunity came up, we took it. And and in retrospect, I think the thing that really fed him on it was being his own boss Mm. and doing things on his terms. And that comes with good and bad. You know, right. The buck stops with you and you, yeah, you find totally. out there's a lot of, a lot of power uh, with it, but there's also a lot of responsibility and accountability. Yeah. But I tell people that all the time, especially if you grew up in, well, I guess that's not true. It, it's, it's across all generations, but when you're young, what you get taught by your friend group and maybe even by adults is that you should avoid you don't get taught this in words, by the way, in actions. You get taught you should avoid responsibility and accountability at all costs because the responsible person is to blame. They get punished. You don't want to be punished. The accountable person is the person who pays. You don't want to pay. Don't be accountable. So a lot of kids grow up avoiding being fingered, pointed at. I shouldn't have said that one. Uh, pointed yeah. at. Um you know, for doing a thing. And I always tell people that I get the, the, the chance to and blessing to mentor is like, no run towards accountability and responsibility because once someone knows that the buck stops with you. So in the case of your husband, for example, then they'll pay him for the responsibility and the accountability because it's work. It has value in the real world. It's like, Oh, I trust him. Like when a mistake is made, he stands up or she stands up and says, that's on me. I got it. I'll, I'll fix it. I'll make it right. So they're mad for like 10 seconds, but then they trust you for 20 years Mm -hmm. because, because they, because you know, they know that you're going to stand up and make it right. That's the whole thing. But he didn't have to convince you to be in the movie business or film industry or love film, you did acting all the way up to that point. Like so you did, you did theater. So you were kind of on board, right? You would, this was like a pursuit that you were probably pretty excited about as well. Right. Um, yes and no. I, I was pretty selfish at that point with my own <laughs> career. Right. I mean, because when I left, when I left acting, um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I, my identity was really wrapped up in it. Um, I think, you know, probably one of my more unhealthy relationships with, was with my, the acting business and my career, but I did love it. And so when I left, um, there were a few years there where I, I didn't know what I wanted to do next, how I would feed myself literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I tried a bunch of different things and I kind of found my way into, um, communications. And it, so it was feeding me in a way for the first time since I left acting. And as I was starting to move through the ranks of that career, 
I was feeling more fulfilled than I had in quite some time. So when this opportunity came up, my mind wasn't so much on the art as it was, this is disruptive to this yeah. progress that I'm making. I, and, and we, we paid for that. I mean, we, it was hard. I'm not, this is not something, this is not a choice and a life move. I would recommend for everybody. The only way it was possible for us is because we had consciously decided not to have children. Mm -hmm. So we were, we didn't have that kind of um, commitment and expectation. Um, and we were also living in a place that we, I think I told you this maybe the last time we spoke, we were both actors in New York and no longer acting. So what was, where did we want to go next? Because right. there was no reason for us to keep paying a premium to live in a city that we also couldn't quite afford. Right. Um, and not pursuing that dream that we came there to pursue. So what, what is interesting though is, you know, having made that move and having gotten through the personal trauma of that separation from everything we knew, we'd been there, we'd been in New York for 20 years. It was really hard. It was hard coming here and having Ryan pursuing, Ryan is my husband, having Ryan actively pursuing a dream and a, and a, and a, a new set of goals and me not finding it, it wasn't an apples to apples for me. Right. Right. You know, right, he, right. he was, he was, uh, he was running towards, you know, it was like the carrot and the stick. He was really running towards this goal and we got here and I got a job and I've always given 110% to my work, but it was a job. And then, and then, you know, this opportunity to start AV film came along. And what I will tell you is that back in the day when I was a kid and I was in the middle of this, this cult-like drama group in high school and my, my, my idols were, you know, the group theater and Steppenwolf and that kind of thing. Um, I knew at the age of 17 that I wanted to be the artistic director of a theater company. Mm. And I wanted, I wanted to be in charge of Steppenwolf or, or, um, is it Steppenwolf that did the Kentucky cycle? I guess it is. So yeah, I wanted to be in charge of Steppenwolf or, or a regional theater. Well, then fast forward 30 years, 25, 30 years, and I became the executive director of a film organization. And I think one of the things that's significant about that for me is if I were to say to a young person, there was, well, let me, let me rephrase that. There was a moment in my life where I would say to a young person, if you want to become an artist, that's great, but let's make sure you're getting all of those liberal arts classes done and, and so on and so forth. And I still think that's a good idea. I think it's a, I think it's a smart move to make sure you're getting educated while it's easy to get educated, easier to get educated because it gets harder to go back to school when you're older. Um, but I would also say to a young person that by following my dream, I made my way through all of the 
the, you know, the crazy maze back to where I wanted to be when I was 17 years old. And it just took the crazy maze to get there and show me how to do it, how I wanted to do it. um, The kind of boss I wanted to be the kind of employee I wanted to foster um, and hire uh, the kind of organization I wanted to develop, the kind of community I wanted to support, um, I, you know, everything along the way. And when I was 17, I didn't know what all that meant. Right. How- you know, I identified with some of the, like, um, director pieces, um, and I love directing, but it, now it has more meaning. And the final thing I want to say on that is you asked me that, and this is kind of getting back to, it's a long-winded answer to, it didn't seem, it doesn't seem like it would be a hard sell for you to come out to California. I want to be very clear about something. I came to California because I love my husband Mm. and um, because I didn't have a better idea. Uh. And, you know, I want to be really clear about that for people. I had to do a lot of personal work. I said yes. You know, and it was hard. I was full of resentment when I first came because of that, that dynamic of him running towards a goal, me having a job, you know, it was tough, mm-hmm. but I said yes. And I had to really work on the acceptance of that. And I loved him. You know, that was why I came. Um, what the other truth in that is if it had been a theater, I might have started a theater company or if it had been music it might have been some kind of music there is something that my husband chose with this movie theater that by its very nature i used to somewhat you know to build around Mm -hmm. so it was again you can't unring that bell would i have started a a film society in jackson heights queens i'm not so sure you know (laughs) it took what it took for me to get to that that creation point. Oh, that's really great. There is a part in that answer where you talked about your experience in acting and those trials in New York and having to overcome both the expense of the place and the way that industry works. And one of the things you talk about a lot is body advocacy and body image advocacy can you tell this audience what thin privilege is? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> thin privilege. I was just talking about this uh, the other night with some friends. Thin privilege is being able to walk into any store anywhere with some certainty that you're going to find something that fits. Mm. It may not fit you well. It may not be the best looking piece of clothing you've ever put on your body, but you can get it over your head. You can get it up over your thighs and, and you know, and, and, and buckle the pants or button the shirt. It's also um, walking into a restaurant and never wondering whether or not you will fit in the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, being on a plane and not worrying about annoying the person next to you. Mm-hmm. Um because you're taking up too much space. It's also like all of the subjective things of, well, I was going to talk about, you know, as an actress where it comes into play. And and unfortunately, I just think that 
the the subjectivity and objectification of women's bodies in the acting business is beyond reprehension. It is just something, it is one of the worst things we have done to ourselves as a society and to young women or young women all over the world. I, I just, by, by perpetuating this white, thin beauty narrative it's just done so much damage to people. That's not what people look like. There are people who look like that. There are people who look like Nicole Kidman. There are people who look like um, uh, Halle Berry. There are people who look like Amy Schumer. But even Amy Schumer is being lauded right now for being honest about having liposuction. Mm. Because having a baby, she wasn't feeling great about herself. And Amy Schumer whether you like her work or not has been such a positive force about um, bringing her authentic self to the table and everything she does. And I, it makes me so sad that her authentic self is not enough as it is, you know, that it needs nipping and tucking and, and that kind of thing. But I also appreciate how honest she's been about it. Um, and my own journey with it, you know, it's just, it's not even so much of like, you're fat, you're thin, because we're certainly starting to make a little progress. Mm-hmm. But um, I, you know, I've, I, I've probably auditioned a thousand times and I've gotten maybe five roles. I mean, it, the, the, that's, those statistics are wildly, um, probably unfair and untrue, but the work that I've gotten has really come from friends that I know, friends that I want to work with, work I've created for myself. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the, the stereotypes that we see on the TV and for, I mean, forget people of color. It, well, let's not forget people of color. <laughs> I should say that just straight white people it's fucked up it or if you don't want to curse just straight white people it's messed up what we've done to each other in terms of if you're fat you can only play this role if you're if you're thin you can only play these kinds of role well if you're fat you can only be the funny best friend or you you'll never be a love interest you'll be you're going to play roles that are 30 years older than you um and then it just like it's 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 such an indication of like how we treat people of color or anybody with a um in a in a marginalized group people with disabilities forget it there's like barely any room for them on the on the stage and screen you know yeah. and that's just not that's not the rich tapestry of the world we live in at all but the more we force feed that to people the more otherism there are, you know, the more othering there is, the more prejudice, the more bigotry. And that is one reason I have leaned into my work at AV film. This is a place where we are championing representation. This is about, we're going to make sure every little kid in this area sees themselves on the big screen. And I don't care if there are two kids who identify as trans, they're going to have an opportunity to see trans characters on the big screen somewhere. Maybe they're too young to come to the festival right now, but 
I want their parents to start talking about it or their caregivers or their babysitters. Wow. Mm. You know, did you see that film the other day? Like, yeah, they had had trans people in it. We don't need to show people euphoria Mm. when they're six years old. I get that that's probably damaging to (laughs) us. It's damaging to me and I'm 48. Right. Uh, No. Yeah. No, I'm 48. Um, But, oh, my gosh, that show is so exciting because it just normalizes everything. There's absolutely no commentary on color, um, gender identity, sexual persuasion. There is some, you know, we have a fat character on the show who is is grappling with her fatness and her identity and what and her place in the world. But she's also celebrated by men Mm -hmm. in um, and she or sexual partners, I should say. Um, again, it's all very complicated because she's also a teenager and we shouldn't be talking about, or she shouldn't be experiencing that that young, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated web. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. And, um, your Amy Schumer story, which I didn't know, by the way, um, reminded me of when Kanye West blamed his fans for getting lipo. Thought that was a perfectly Kanye moment. It's beauty. I, I, I love I love that man because he is he is constant entertainment. And it's like I did this for you. <laughs> look what you look what you made me do. Um, so it, it's it's great. And by the way, Coda, the movie, watched it twice, cried twice, and you know I I I, I think they're going to win everything. It feels it Hope feels so. it feels like they're sweeping all the. You know the BAFTA and the in the mm-hmm. viewers' choice, like all these awards that happen before Academy Award season. So let's see what happens. I think that'll I be so. that'll be great. Uh, the guy uh, who's up for everything, his name is Troy. Oh gosh, I'll I'll get a list to put it in the show notes. But I'm forgetting his last name, but he'll be the first deaf actor to possibly win an Academy Award for Best Actor. So mm-hmm. that's going to be fantastic. Um, We've talked about the AV Film Fest a lot up to this point, but but we've sort of hinted around it. We've touched on it. We've dipped our toe in the waters of this film fest and then hopped right back out. Let's just dive right in. You founded this fest um, in 2014 at the time it was called the Alexander Valley uh, Film Society. Mm-hmm. For those listening that want to be a part of this great thing you're doing, how would you pitch the festival to filmmakers and attendees alike. So AV Film is the parent organization of AV Fest. We are the, the AV Film is the producer of AV Fest and AV Film is a nonprofit organization that provides film and media education to local students in public schools and lifelong learners. Mm. And then we exhibit free outdoor movies for Northern Sonoma County communities. We have a year round independent film series. And then we also produce the annual film festival, which is this year now in its eighth year. Um, And so now the fest showcases and hosts new and emerging talents from all over the world. So we really work to, highlight and amplify voices that might not have distribution. We do a mix. So we work with, we work with um, programmers who are mining content this year. We have um, um, a fantastic black programmer and, and these are local folks to the Bay area, but we have Bianca Bell, who's uh, curating a black block, uh, a block of black 
filmmakers, creators, and themes. Mm -hmm. For us, we have Lucho Ramirez, who's doing a Latinx block for us. And then, which, by the way, we've had lots of discussion on what to call it. Latinx is all of these terms, they're not 100% appropriate for anyone right um but we've just we've landed on latinx for ease of use kind of thing (laughs) um and uh then we have uh chelsea rose chelsea rose kiernick who's also an employee of ours um who's doing an lgbtqia theme block and and so we have a we have a woman who works with us year round to work on our independent film series, and she's bringing in films with distribution. We've accepted more than 350 submissions this year, which is 200% more than we've had in the past. Wow. And, and drilling down into, and, and again, amplifying the work of voices from marginalized and underrepresented communities. Um, and that all goes into the greater purpose of the organization and the festival which is to create belonging and access mm-hmm. so we have we have a small platform here in Sonoma County where there are there are a good number of film festivals and people ask me when I started why another one well why not do we have do we have one that's run by a woman do we have one that focuses on uh, what I would have said at the time do we have Latino content? Do we have Spanish language content that is available for at least 40% of the population here that is Latin American, Chicano, Mexican? Um, I mean, there's a whole, and Latinos are not a monolith, but you know, there's a whole treasure trove of content. Is that being brought right. and shared with this portion of the community? And so little by slowly, we started cobbling all of this together. And it was there was a lot of undoing that had to happen. We had to start working with community partners to make sure that we were not programming for the community, but programming with. Um, and I mean, just starting thread the equity work all the way through. And it's really deep and it's we've scratched the surface, but it is absolutely the way to go by hiring these uh, programmers to mine content in uh, these um, other communities and not other communities, but hiring programmers to mine content in these respective communities and bring them to the fest as a whole. It's just so exciting. And we're going to hear from lots of different creators and voices. And again, going back to that, that rich tapestry of what our society is you know, it's not just thin, white, cis, het people on a screen. It's so much deeper than that. And getting getting to explore that more deeply this year than ever before is so exciting. I agree. The AV Film Fest, April 29th through May 8th. And we're going to make sure people uh, through this podcast know how to uh, get there be part of it, attend, even submit. So this is going to be just the best year ever for this. I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, you are doing something on May 4th called Art House in the Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Can you describe it and, and what you're hoping it will be? Yeah, so one thing that we have done from the beginning 
uh, since early 2015 is we've popped up to do um, drive-in movies. And this is something that's evolved over time. Uh, we now have our own equipment and we we pop up in various places. And one of the things, one of the programs that has taken shape over the last couple of years is any number of partnerships with area wineries, of which we have so many. Yeah. So, um, and... It, as you said at the top of the podcast, it is just one of the most beautiful places on earth in Sonoma County. And, and one of the reasons why is all the agriculture here. Mm. We have a plethora of gorgeous vineyards. I don't drink. I'm sober, but we have some of the best wine in the world, I'm told. Um, and Art House in the Vineyard is kind of a marriage of all of that. So we will take a, a film from the festival, a, um, a fest, in this case, a festival film that's not playing in theaters, an independent film yet to have theatrical release and we'll show it right there in the vineyard. And we're partnering with Trent to do a winery, which is in Geyserville. Um, they've been a great host and partner with us over the years. And uh, we'll have a food truck there. Uh, folks will have a glass of wine. They'll be able to do bottle service sitting out on the lawn and we'll have this movie under the stars in may and um it might be chilly if for if and by any chance anyone hears this and wants to come out for it be sure to bring a blanket um but yeah and this is the first year too that we have opening weekend passes and closing weekend passes really inviting our neighbors in san francisco and oakland to take a weekend come up grab a hotel somewhere uh do a couple of days at the fest uh it's going to be a really good time that sounds amazing I, we do something similar in Nashville at Centennial Park, which is um, has this replica of the Parthenon uh, in the middle of it. And they do these films, um, you know, in the park kind of thing. And um, it's incredible. Uh, so many people from the commun community come out, sit on the lawn, sit in their chairs, watch a movie together. There's never any drama. And it's incredible. And I can only imagine... Okay, let's integrate West Coast, Sonoma Valley, great wine from a great vineyard. That's going to be, that's just going to be incredible. A um, little bit uh, of a left turn here, but still related to the previous uh, subject. You're also an expert in wildlife communicate or wildfire communications, maybe wildlife, but wildfire communications. I'm curious how that expertise helps you run a film festival. Like, is there a crossover between the communication skills you have to have when you're taking down a wildfire uh, and taking down a film festival? Well, to clarify, I did spend four years with the Red Cross here in the Bay Area, um, but I was fortunate enough to leave that job at the end of last year. Um, we had a terrific donor step up for AV Film who allowed us to expand in a way, and um, uh, they were intentional about paying health insurance for employees and, and things like that. So I was able to step away from the Red Cross. But um, in my time there, an organization that I've, I really came to treasure, and my colleagues especially. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely some crossover. I mean, <laughs> there's so... The, the thing is, is for any disaster, it's all about preparation. And your disaster response is 
is predicated on your prep, your level of preparation. So where the Red Cross is preparing people all year round, part of what I do is prepare, prepare, prepare. Um, I have software that helps with project management work. You know, like if we haven't hit this deadline by this date, we're going to run into a problem by this date. You know, looking at it from, um, it's both strategic, it's strategic preparation. Um, and then of course, you know, stuff is bound to bound to pop off and go wrong. Um, and I've learned so much about that. I think that all my gray hair is really from, it's not from aging as much as it is running a film festival. Um, or I should say running a film festival nine days after the most devastating fires here in Santa Rosa in 2017. Um, but it there there are similarities. But on the other end of that is a sweet swell of humanity mm. that is hungry to process and and um, consume art and storytelling, sharing stories, right? Sharing their own stories. We're seeing we're seeing a lot of films start to come out now about the fires of 2017, 18, 19, 20, um, but really about seven, the 2017 fires. And I think, too, with the pandemic, I'm just starting to see some artwork come out where hopefully we're headed for a renaissance of reflection and introspection and um, process that we'll all get to take advantage of. I mean, if we made it through the pandemic, we might as well get some great art out of it. <laughs> I think we're going to, Catherine, because if, if 2021 was any example or proxy for the years to come, we're going to just be gifted a deluge of really wonderful storytelling. Uh, this is the most, or this year's award season, I should say, has the most films I can remember in consideration. And then there are all these films that, we're sort of, let's say, from an award standpoint, right below that line, that are also incredible. Yeah. Uh, like the best movie I saw last year was Come On, Come On, and I don't, I don't even know if it got nominated. Uh, that was, the, you know, you can't leave that film without a really big smile on your face and a great feeling. And uh, there are a lot of these straight-to-streamer documentaries that have been amazing uh, to watch. So I think you're dead on about that. Uh, a couple of speed round questions and we'll get you out of here. Uh, what are the, what are the two best pieces of advice you've received in your career so far? And uh, who did they come from? I don't know how crazy I am about to elevate this person, but Sheryl Sandberg in her book mm -hmm. wrote bill like a boy. And it's a sticky that is faded and, and tearing, but it's been on my cork board in my, in my line of sight right here for at least, uh, when did that book come out? 2010, 12. So it's been, I've had it in my, my, my mind for 10 years, Bill Like a Boy. Um, and, you know, it's interesting around the same time, I think Tina Fey also did a really great service to us all by talking about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And, that it's not only a real thing, uh, but that we can laugh at ourselves about it. And you got to surround yourself with good people to remind yourself that it is a syndrome and not real. Mm -hmm. That we can do, we can do great things. That's right. 
And I think anything Brene Brown, who was also my babysitter when I was a child, <laughs> um, literally, uh, anything Brene Brown says, writes, or does, um, that. Brene Brown's amazing. <laughs> she is. And uh, I've read at least two of her books and heard her on a number of podcasts. So, And then she has her own podcast now. So mm-hmm. if uh, you... Uh, need that in your life and you want some goodness, go check out Brene Brown, look her up and uh, go check out her podcast. Shout out to Brene Brown for sure. And you've been running this festival since 2014, but you've been around the arts since high school, middle school. Uh, What are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see uh, newcomers making to the film industry and to film maybe through the festival that you've seen? Trying to do it all yourself. This is a collaborative sport. Um, Nicole Regal comes to mind, who directed Holler, which was my favorite film of 2021, I think. Was that 2021? Oh, my God. The years are blending together. Um, I'm not sure. I'll find out. I haven't seen it. Yeah, but, it's but so you, but fantastic. But if, if you tell me it's good, I'll go watch it. Yeah, it it won our it won our audience award last year. It was really really great, um, and she's terrific. And I was struck by the way she talked about collaboration. I don't even remember exactly what she said about it, but she clearly had a vision. But she worked with people who helped make that vision a reality. And I just had a conversation yesterday with a staff member about this very thing. And she gave me this great example that I'll pass on to you now. It was about leadership. What does great leadership look like? And if you consider that you and your team are in a canoe and you're all paddling together down this river, you want everybody looking for rocks. Mm. And not everyone will see the same rocks. But... If you as the leader are the only one responsible for looking at the, for seeing the rocks, the boat is sure to capsize. Mm. So to bring, bring people in who are talented, um, encourage their, their voices and their process um, and don't hold on too tight. I think one of my favorite sayings that is loosely, or I think one of my favorite sayings that I have borrowed from 12-step recovery work is wear life like a loose garment. Hmm. I love that. Remember to collaborate if you are a newcomer to film. Collaboration is your friend. And uh, unlike Ayn Rand, you can't make it alone. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's a little inside nerd joke right there that I drop on you. (laughs) That's hilarious. Well done. Uh, (laughs) Oh, Catherine, this has been a tremendous conversation as I knew it would. Uh, Every time I talk to you, I just leave with a smile on my face. You're a bright light in this world. And uh, I know that to do that, you had to walk through some darkness to, to, to bring that kind of light. So uh, I don't take that for granted. Can you, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find you on the internet? 
and how they can attend or submit to the AV Film Fest. AV Film Fest excuse me. You bet. The web the website for AV Film is avfilmpresents.org. On all of social media, we're AV Film Official. And me personally, I think I'm Catherine P. Hecht on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and things like that. You're more than welcome to follow, reach out, send me a DM. Um, and yeah. Beautiful. I think everyone listening will do that. And if they don't, it's truly their loss. I think we'll end on this. One of the things that stuck with me the first time we talked is um, you said the brain still scans the horizon for the wolf. And uh, I have like stored that away. I think it's so beautifully worded and said, and I'm curious because you are that person looking for the rocks as you row. You are that person scanning for the wolf. And I wonder how much are you saving yourself by saving others? Deep question. And I will reflect back that my experience of that is also quite deep and personal, but I have intentionally moved into a life of service because it is what keeps me sane. Hmm. Um, I also am a person who does not while I have an ego and I love to be told I'm doing a good job, I'm also a person that believes I have not worked a miracle. Mm. That I'm part of a flow of things and that, you know, I put, I've put myself in a position to be able to do good work. It's not always great, but I, it's a fine line because I can't afford to take too much credit or take too much blame. You know, and I I do the same with my employees. I, you know, I'll take, I'll take responsibility for their work. And, um, but it's important that they know what they contribute and what they're responsible for, but also that they're human. Mm -hmm. And I, so I see what I do right now is service work. And before I moved into the nonprofit world, it was really hard for me to have that balance. That's really, really well said. And the world is a better place for it. Keep helping others, Catherine. This has been, like I said, an absolute blast. For those listening, go reach out to Catherine. She is a, a, a warm blanket for you. So don't be <laughs> afraid. Like she said, DM, reach out. Make sure you go to those websites. Find the AV Film Fest on the internet. Make sure you attend. Watch those films. If you're a filmmaker, submit those films. And uh, you know it's a great festival and a great time and a festival that cares deeply about acceptance and inclusion and representation across the board in their films. And of course, if you want to listen to more wonderful episodes of this podcast, you can find it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify and Apple and so many more. Catherine, you're the best. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Go out and do good things. We'll do it. And for everyone listening, remember, everyone needs to be looking for the rocks if you're in the rowboat. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, 
please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.